<laughs> you couldn't. You couldn't even last ten seconds. <laughs> Right. How come you didn't cause damage to your heart in those 10 seconds? There's still plenty of oxygen in the blood. That's not the problem. The problem is getting it to specific tissues. So in the heart, when the heart muscle itself or portions of the heart muscle become ischemic, within 10 seconds, you're going to have problems. The cells that are working, the cells that are contracting, are going to remain viable for about 20 minutes. And the way they're going to do that is they're going to switch over to anaerobic. In an anaerobic um, metabolism, what do we build up? Lactic acid. In the old days, we used to test for myocardial ischemia by measuring LDH, which stands for lactic acid dehydrogenase which is the enzyme that's used to return lactic acid back to glucose. We have much better ways of testing for it now. The other thing is you're going to have free radical damage. What's a free radical? Far out, man, yeah. William Ayers, Jack Nicholson, free rider. <laughs> What is a free radical? Okay, so it's a molecule that's missing one electron and it is highly motivated to steal it from another molecule, which causes damage to that other molecule. Now, as it turns out, this is something that Joe had asked about earlier. When you, when you um, open that artery back up, that actually causes more free radicals to be released, which further increases the damage. So sometimes, often, the person doesn't actually die from the ischemia itself. They die from reperfusion injury, from free radical damage. Because after all, what do we say all clots do by themselves? They, have, they will dissolve. So as they spontaneously dissolve, that can actually cause free radical damage. Now, again, it depends on where your, um, what artery that you have the ischemia in. If it's like the left main, you're not going to get a chance to get reperfusion injury because you'll be dead. If it's in a smaller one, you only affect a few cells. All right, manifestations. We have a couple different things. First one is called stable angina. Then we have something called Prinz metal angina silent ischemia, and then something called unstable. So let's talk about stable angina first. Stable anginas are caused by what kind of clot, or what kind of lesions? Well, they are chronic, but what kind of lesion will be causing that? Complicated. Not complicated. Okay, what's an uncomplicated lesion <laughs> called? St stable. Okay, so stable angina is caused by Stable lesions. Stable lesions that have grown bigger and bigger and bigger until, until they occlude an artery. So what we're talking about is... Oh, so much darker. What we're talking about is not this lesion here, not this lesion here. We're talking about this lesion here. 
the big one. So it decreases blood flow through it. Now, does a person feel chest pain all the time? No. When do they feel it? When they're walking or exerting themselves or when they get all worked up and excited, whether it's, whether it's fun or whether it's anger or fear, any kind of sympathetic response will increase the work of the heart and cause what to happen. Nope, the obstruction's already there. An imbalance of what? Okay. So, which which side are we affecting? Okay, we're affecting the demand side. The supply side has already gotten smaller because of what? Because of the lesion. So the person is going to become symptomatic when we affect the demand side. So when the person starts walking up the stairs and oh it hurts and ah gotta either gotta wait it out or take some drugs to make the pain go away. Then they can walk a little bit further. Oh it hurts again. Or they're doing fine and all of a sudden Miami wins. And they're so excited because it doesn't happen that often. <laughs> oh it hurts. Okay, so in angina, the problem, the way that the person's going to get it is because we affect the demand. This, the supply has been affected over how many years? 30 years or more. It's, we, we, can, we can't really affect it that much at this point, but what we can do is affect the demand side. Now, in addition to the chest pain itself, the chest pain can also radiate. Patient may experience diaphoresis. What's that? sweating, and shortness of breath, and pallor. Now, diaphoresis and pallor, what would cause that? Sympathetic what? Sympathetic stimulation. Remember, your sweat glands are controlled by sympathetic system, which is why people sweat when they get nervous. Which is why we can use what kind of detectors? Lie detectors. Oh. What about the pallor? Vasoconstriction from the sympathetic response. And then the shortness of breath? When the heart gets pain, do you think it works quite as well? So what is it going to do? It's going to pump not quite the same. That's going to lower cardiac output. That's going to make the patient feel short of breath. So we're going to release, uh, we're going to re get relief with either rest or nitrates. Nitroglycerin is the most common one there. Next, we have Prinzmetal angina. Prinzmetal angina is completely different. Sometimes it's called uh, vasospastic angina. So how, how do you think that works? So you're going to get spasm of the coronary artery and you're going to go, it's going to decrease blood flow and cause pain.
Now, you, typically what's going to happen is the person comes in with chest pain, they go to the emergency room, they rule them out for a heart attack, then they do an angiogram and they go, there's nothing wrong with your arteries. I don't know why you've got the pain. That's Prince Metal Angela. Now, it's quite rare, but you're going to see a lot of it if you work in a, tele, in a telemetry floor. Why? Because people who are sick go to the hospital. So even though it's rare out and about, those people tend to come to the hospitals. So it'll be quite common to you, like if you work in a cath lab. Next, we call a silent ischemia. What do you think silent ischemia is? This is a tough one. Ischemia with no symptoms. So sometimes what will happen is a patient will come in for whatever reason and you do an EKG on them and well, you've had a, it looks like you've had a heart attack in the past. I have? I, don't, I never had a heart attack. Well, you did, you just had no symptoms. Maybe you just felt sick and like you had no energy for a day or two, then you got better. You didn't recognize the symptoms as being a heart attack. And then we have what we call unstable angina. Now, what kind of lesions cause unstable angina? Unstable lesions. <laughs> And what's the other name for an unstable lesion? It's complicated. Now, complicated lesions, which cause unstable angina, are considered a medical emergency because they can become myocardial infarction. All right. Evaluation of a person with myocardial ischemia. First thing is history and physical. So we're also going to do um, cholesterol, blood pressure, and do risk factor assessment. We're going to take an ECG, echocardiogram, and we may do some kind of coronary perfusion test, such as a stress test or angiography. So go back and listen to the health assessment podcast where we talked about stress tests because that'll be important for next week. If the patient has unstable angina. What we're going to do is we're going to order cardiac enzymes to do what we call rule in or rule out myocardial infarction. Now let me ask you this question. What does my word myocardial infarction mean? Cell death caused by decreased blood flow. What kind of cells? Cardiac cells. Now, what happens to a cardiac cell when it dies? Well, any cell when it dies, for that matter. Say again? Okay, they get eaten. And what happens to what's inside of them? Spills out. So, we can test to see if cells are dying by checking the blood for stuff that filled out, spilled out. Now, if, what does your pancreas produce uh, besides insulin? In terms of digestive stuff. Pancreatic enzymes. What are the two biggies? Amylase and lipase. Now, if the pancreas is being damaged and cells are dying, what's going to happen to the blood levels of amylase and lipase? They're going to go up because it's spilling into the blood as those cells die. If the liver cells die, 
AST and ALT will spill out into the blood, and we can check for liver inflammation by checking for AST and ALT. If your heart dies, something will leak out. Now, what is heart made up of? Muscle. So, what is, how does muscle contract? You got the, the little filaments and the thingy and you got the actin and the myoglobin and the tropomyosin and what's the key to the whole thing? Troponin. Now, as it turns out, there's a different kind of troponin in heart muscle. Actually, two, di two different kinds. Troponin I and troponin T. So we can check by checking for troponin I or troponin T to see how much damage has been done to the heart. If these are negative, the patient will rule out for MI. If the troponins are high, the patient will rule in for an MI. Does that make sense? Now, the protocols differ from hospital to the hospital and region to region. Uh, when I was in Gainesville, we did four sets of enzymes four hour apart. So how long did it take to rule someone in or out for an MI? 16 hours. So if you go into a hospital complaining of chest pain, you better be prepared to be there for a while, right? Whether Even if it's just heartburn. Because they want to make sure that you're not going to die on them by accident and then your family is going to sue them. So we're checking you. We're, we're, you're staying here for 16 hours, buddy. Now, in um, here, uh, Delray, I think it's only three sets of enzymes, like six hours apart. Same, more or less the same time period, but they get to it a different way. What happens if they don't do that? Well, one of two things can happen. Either they were right and you didn't have a heart attack, or they were wrong and you did. If they were wrong and you did, you might die. If they were right and you did, nothing will happen. Yeah, if they were right that you didn't have a heart attack and you really didn't, everyone's happy. So um, that's called cardiac enzymes. In addition to troponin, there's something else that we can check, which is called CKMB. What is, what is CK? Creatinine kinase. What's the quickest way that muscles you can get ATP? The quickest way for muscles to get ATP. It's not glucose. It's creatine phosphate. And creatine phosphate is broken down by creatine kinase sometimes called phosphokinase or CPK. So CPK, CK, same difference. What do you think MB stands for? Myocardial band. So there's several different kinds of CK, just like there's several different kinds of troponin. So typically, if you see they call a cardiac enzyme panel, you're going to get a CK total 
a CKMB and troponin, and it's going to be either I or T, depending on the hospital. Different, you know, whichever, whichever the hospital has a contract with their lab for, it'll be that type of troponin. These are called what? Cardiac, Cardiac enzymes. What are we using them for? To detect NMI. Why, don't we, why can't we just take an electrocardiogram? Because of, uh, it's not, because of the silent ischemia. So not every patient who has ischemia will have symptoms. May not even have symptoms on an electrocardiogram. But what will happen is if those cells are dying, cardiac, not, not necessarily, cardiac enzymes will be high. All right, that's it for now. Hang on, don't leave. Question? Case study. Let's talk about the case study. We'll talk about that later. All right, case study. What you're going to do is you are going to get a patient. Whichever one you want. Except that you have to have three distinct disease processes. Now, look at me. Look at me, everyone. Look at me in the face. Look at me. A disease process is not a diagnosis. It's a disease process. Got it? So here's an example. If you have a patient who came in because they have a broken leg, that's one disease process. But what do we say everyone who has uh, orthopedic trauma will also have? DVTs. That is a second disease process. And then they also happen to have hypertension. Well, guess what? Three disease processes. No, just they're at risk for DVTs because of that broken bone. What you are going to do is you are going to write up a little patient presentation, which is basically the patient's history and physical and laboratory and diagnostic tests. Basically, you're just going to summarize it. There is an example online. There's a couple examples online on eCollege. Yes. Then um, what you're going to do after that is you're going to analyze their pathophysiology. Now, when I say analyze the pathophysiology, what I do not mean is go to uh, Wikipedia and copy and paste an article about anemia. What I want you to do is I want you to analyze this patient's anemia. So really, all you need to know about anemia in general is, what are the four classic symptoms? All right, what are the, what are the compensatory mechanisms? Sympathetic response, high heart rate, high blood pressure. Right, so you, 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 now you know all you need to know about anemia to tell me what you need to know here, except for this patient's got anemia, so what did their CBC look like? Were the numbers normal? Were they low? If they were low, which numbers were low? Which type of anemia was it? You know, if they had low MCV and low MCH, it was what kind of anemia? Microhypo, which most likely means they were 
iron deficiency. So then the next question is, well, were there any iron studies? If no, then you can only speculate. If yes, report what they were and tell me what that means. Does that make sense? Well, just the disease itself. Then you go and you look at their drugs. So you've got a patient who's got hypo, hypochromic, um, microcytic hypochromic anemia, which you think is most likely iron deficiency. And then you look in their drugs and guess what they're on? Ferrous sulfate. So you're going to go, okay, well, the ferrous sulfate corresponds to iron deficiency. And they had a normal lab, normal iron level, so it must be working. Or if it was low, well, it hasn't worked enough yet. Maybe they haven't been on it long enough, or maybe they need a higher dose. Or maybe they're not taking it. So what you're doing is you're trying to process what's going on with this patient. Not a lot of book learning. A lot of thinking is what's needed for this. Does that make sense? No, it's a patient that you have in the clinical. When is this due? It's a very good question. Um, it is before the final, yes. Because I have to grade them all before the final. What? So, so here's, what's, here's, how, here's how it's going to work. The week of Thanksgiving. By that week, you have to show me a rough draft, which we will discuss individually, you and me. Individually. I mean, if you want someone there for moral support, that's fine. <laughs> By the week of Thanksgiving. The reason for this is because some of you will do exactly what you're supposed to, no problem. Others of you will have no clue what, we're to, what I'm asking for. And so this is to get you back on track. So if you're one of those people who think you have no clue, you might want to see me earlier rather than later. Now, if, say, let's say your pa let's, let's do it this way. Say your patient's got a broken leg. So the broken leg is one disease process. The increased risk for clot is another disease process. And then they have low sodium, three disease processes. You have to account for everything that's abnormal in the patient. Now, you may be going, Dr. Hammond, why are you torturing us like this? I, we're not doctors, we're nurses. To which I will respond, exactly. This thought process that we're making you do in this patient is what you should do for every single patient you encounter. You've got a patient who's got a broken leg. Check the lab values. Think to yourself, they're at risk for clots. You know, if the lab values are abnormal, what are you going to do about it? Is this something that, you know, what, what are you going to look for in the patient? What kind of symptoms might they have? Do they have those symptoms, yes or no? If they do, what do you do about it? Do you call the doctor? Is it something you can do by yourself? That's what you have to think about in this case study. So, any questions? No, they can be separate. Ultimately, yes, but it is not a diagnosis. The doctor doesn't have to say, you know, hyponatremia. You see on the chart, low sodium. That's a disease process. 
Yeah. Yeah. Say again. Yes. So if if they have a history of hypertension, that's a disease process. So what you're going to do is you're going to look and see what's their blood pressure running, what medications are they on, what's their uh, renal function, you know, do you have a urinalysis on them, you know, all of that kind of stuff you're going to be looking at. Any patient you want. If you want, if you'd like to choose the same patient that you use for med surge, that's fine as long as they meet my criteria. In fact, it might be helpful for you because you'll get some additional feedback. So maybe you'll get a better score in med search, <laughs> assuming you do it early enough. 